trouble for speaking too loudly because my <laughs> uh, my son is sleeping. So excuse me. <laughs> I'll be quiet. And I look forward to you. Talk. I will also apologize because probably a one-year-old or a two-year-old will come screaming at some point. And oh, well, I think we're all in that position right now, right? Well, yeah. I'm at my office. It's nice to not be with the two-year-old <laughs> because he's especially crazy at the moment. And he's like in the, the kindergarten, like it's very hard um, for everyone. Great. And Claire, nice to have you also. Very, very nice to see you. Uh, also Monica and Fiona. Um, so yeah, we don't have so many people, so maybe it's nice to greet the new people in the round. I don't know which Fiona that is. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Monica. Hi. And we have also Nuno. But good, maybe we can start slowly. Um, it is now recording. So Jennifer, um, yeah, hi. Oh, we have some chat. Hi. So I'm just going to say a few words. Well, thank you very much, uh, Pamela and Sandra, for being with us today. Um, we're really glad to start this uh, second talk, um, Fieldworks Antart talk of this series. Um, we have um, a number of them coming up. Uh, we have 15 um, artists or duos in this exhibition, Fieldworks, that uh, I hope that you all have been visiting. And uh, we, um, we invite each of these contributors to, to, to start conversations with us um, between themselves. Um, of course, the idea is to start feeding um, uh, the book project because we intend to um, do this physical exhibition in Lisbon in September. So this talk series could be also entitled um, Road to Lisbon or something like this, but because we're not so dramatic, we just um, call it talks. And, um, but the idea is to prepare for this physical exhibition. And um, yeah, we do have a book coming and it's also very nice because the delay is very tight to start now, like thinking of the texts you want to write, uh, the approach you would like to have. We also have um, um, the, the designers who are attending or might attend these sessions and we, they are also uh, planning the book with us and the exhibition. So this is also a very nice presence to have. That's also why we have beautiful posters and we thank them very much for their hard work. So today we're going to hear a conversation between Pamela and Sandra, Pamela Ceballos and Sandra Rosenthal. And um, I'm just going to give you the floor. Thank you so much. Um, here you go. Thank you, thank you, Maxime. And really happy to see friends and colleagues in this in this talk. Um, please, can you help? Let me share the screen. We have uh, uh, some yes, images yes. that we wanted to to show Both you. Both of you, or just uh, you, Pamela? Yes. Each each one of us has some images, so okay. perhaps. So, I I have I have the possibility, but I don't know if Pamela does. Yeah. Now I can. Great. Uh, well, um, I I was really interested when I heard about this open call because I've been working between art and anthropology for a long time. Uh, right now, I'm currently doing my, my PhD in anthropology, but this is a, a really big interest in, of mine to continue these dialogues. 
So I, I presented in this exhibition uh, kind of an, an abstraction of the fieldwork that I've been doing uh, that is located in the position of the institutional critique and that is focused on the heritage uh, constructions and the national museums in, in Ecuador, uh, particularly in mid 20th century uh, where the national museum started and that has uh, a lot of impacts and effects in local communities. So um, tracing this history of national museums uh, led me to uh, the source communities and to think about uh, the practicings uh, related with collections, with looting uh, that in, in Latin America and particularly in the Andes are called huaqueros. Uh, and to think about these uh, different forms of appropriations, different ways in which these communities uh, deal with this past and, and also create new things around it. I, I first went to this community called La Pila that is located in, in Manabi in the coast of, of Ecuador. And it's a community that was really famous because uh, they were uh, the famous um, forgeries and, and they also started to do replicas. And this community is totally connected with the history of the national museums. They were the ones that were taking these objects to the museums, selling them, uh, but their work was not recognized. They were like always uh, part of this process, but also being invisible and condemned. Uh, these images uh, present uh, this, these molds, molds that were found in these excavations. And it's like the, the beginning of the history of the replicas because they started to make these objects from these molds, no? So it, that's like one key point that I wanted to present this idea of the connection between the original and the replica and these uh, really like blurred limits between those things. Um, in La Pila, I found uh, a lot of possibilities to think about the construction of value to think about these cultural values, these economic values, and these tensions between arts and crafts. And uh, also to think about these networks that uh, hold this value and that circulate these objects. Uh, my main focus was uh, to think about these, these artisans that um, developed this, uh, this work um, from their families, um, around the 60s, they started to, to develop this work. And uh, they have uh, been uh, um, decreasing this activity because of the heritage policies. Uh, for example, recently uh, the heritage police was created in Ecuador and uh, that has um, allowed uh, that artisans have been detained because uh, they have to prove that what they are carrying on are replicas and not originals. So they have like a really bad scenario to continue with their craft. And it has been my interest to, to see uh, how can I also help in this environment. And also here, they, their ideas and their appropriations, their knowledge, their craft, one of the recent projects that I did was uh, pre-pandemic 
was a museum in La Pila, a museum of replicas. Uh, this was a process with uh, interviews, with workshops that we did. And the idea was to put in value these objects. Uh, is a museum dedicated uh, to, to their work, their craft. And also I, um, I presented archives that are related with this history and of the national museums and the way they are impacted in these communities. And uh, well, the, the, the museum had a, a phrase that was uh, almost original replicas. And I think that kind of summarizes the whole intention is that work with this, uh, this tension around uh, originality and authenticity. And the, the, main, the main concern of the museum is, is the artisan. So the only information you have around their objects is the name of the artisan or the donor of the object. And well, this is like the, the interest that I have for, for the continuing process through, through the exhibition of an art to work with one artisan in the next phase of my project. And well, that's like, um, basically my, my ideas around replication, around institutional critique. And I think replication is a way to expand these ideas of authenticity. And in this sense, uh, it's really important for me to have uh, Sandra joining me. She's a really important reference in my work. And I'm really happy to, to expand these ideas with her and to see how much they resonate with different contexts like Mexico that we have seen are really alike. So really happy to, uh, to go to Sandra's presentation. Thank you, Pamela. Okay. Is this working? Can you see my screen? Yeah. Well, I, for me, it's a really great honor to, to be a part of this conversation and to also really be in, in in dialogue with Pamela on several projects that we've been working on in, in this last year, but now really working on um, our own research and our, and our mutual interest in, in patrimony and the ways that, that, that it operates in Latin American contexts. So my, my interest in, in, in heritage started very much at the cross, it emerged very much at the crossroads, uh, studying anthropology and history in settler colonial contexts in the late 1990s and, and early 2000s where the post-colonial critiques of museums and collections were so prominent and there was all of this discussion on repatriation and, and, and source communities and, and all of this. But it also was very much a product of just being Mexican and having really grown up with all the ways in which the the Mexican state has used archaeology and used museums and, and, and collections from the pre-Hispanic past in, in, as technologies really of power and, and of state formation and as the backbone of this sort of imagined community that, that is Mexico. Um, so we see in Mexico these, these ancient artifacts being used in the national education system, in textbooks, in museums, in all of these apparatuses that works as that work as instruments that teach us to admire and pay homage to these objects in very specific ways, um, where these objects are are circulating very broadly um, as crafts, as souvenirs, but really where archaeology has become um, has as has sort of grown as a real handmaiden of the Mexican state. Um, and, and where indigenous uh, material culture, ancient, 
in ancient indigenous material culture has been um, uh, used within a, a, a legal uh, system that that um, that stipulates that all of these objects belong to the Mexican state have to be um, on display in in Mexican in in these sort of state-run institutions and and that there are really no other ways of relating to them. So within this context, perhaps the most visible um, and important institution relating to patrimony in Mexico is the is the National Anthropology Museum. I don't know. How many of you are familiar with this with this space? It was built in 1964, and it was um, very much an effort to consolidate all of the collections um, that were sort of in, in a hodgepodge in different in different sites under a single roof, but also to create um, a didactic instrument that would not only educate the masses but really produce citizens through museum um, through the museum experience um, within the museum. A single monumental object is is outside the museum and kind of works as its as its emblem, and it's this object that I'm showing you here, which is a 167-ton um, pre-Hispanic rain deity that was taken from um, a community in the outskirts of Mexico City in 1964 and moved to the museum to stand as its as its as its kind of um, monument, uh, public monument. Um, so I started becoming very interested in this particular object, mostly because of its incredible history of how it was moved in 1964, um, following an incredibly uh, arduous engineering feat uh, that required the intervention of military technologies and, and engineers and all sorts of, of um, of, uh, of, of state enterprises that aren't necessarily so related to, to archaeology. Um, but when I went to, so I, I, I became interested in the story of how this object was moved to the museum, thinking about exactly these, um, these ways that anthropology and, and archaeology and engineering intersected. And so I went to the town that this object came from, um, thinking that I, I wasn't really interested in, in, in replicas, I was mostly interested in, in thinking about the ways that local communities understood and dealt with the effects of forced dispossession um, and, and the subsequent absence of objects removed from their context by the state and legitimated with this whole legal regime. And what I found when I went to Kuatlinchan was everything but absence. So um, I actually made a film about, about this whole uh, process that I, that I called the absent stone a little bit ironically because um, what I found was this object was becoming was replicated on the wall of the of the school here with a slogan that says we are history we make history. Um, people were wearing T-shirts in the town with with this with the image of the of the stone. People were also keeping replicas of the stone within their their homes um, on shelves, just kind of randomly. Um, placed with other, you know, with a bottle of alcohol or medicine or whatever um, stuff people had in their homes, but also in these kinds of little mini displays, like the one that I'm showing you here, that a lot of people in Kuatlinchan have and that um, are used to display pre-Hispanic artifacts that they find quite often in, in their lands, either after building um, um, a new uh, water well, or just in their in their fields when they're when, when this is a predominantly agricultural community, 
And so they, they, they were placing these, a replica of the missing um, stone in, in the same spaces of display as these, as these artifacts. So that's what really led me to start thinking about the relationship between uh, patrimony, dispossession and, and replication. Um, and, and thinking also about how these, these practices were destabilizing our own notions of, of patrimony as being um, something that is singular, something that has to be original, something that has to be, um, whose who's, who's, um, who's, uh, age and provenance and, and all of these things that, that tend to matter in the museum world and in these institutional contexts kind of get um, uh, questioned by these practices. So um, I began becoming interested in replicas and suddenly one day when, when, when I went to Kotlinchan that the town authorities had decided to build a life-size replica of this, of this uh, monument. It wasn't there when I started my fieldwork. And it was completed in 2007 as the centerpiece of the town's main square. And interestingly, the, the stone was found in a ravine um, and it was lying on its back, um, half buried, but the community replicated it as it was um, produced as a, as a museum monument in, in the 60s. So they replicated it standing in the middle of a circular fountain as it is now um, in the museum. So there was all of these other ways in which replication was, was, was happening that I thought were, was particularly interesting. And with this replica particularly, which is a poured concrete uh, uh, object that, that was made in front of everybody. I mean, there was really no, no, no confusion. Um, there started to, to be um, a whole sort of ritual um, process where uh, people in the community started um, making offerings to the replica to, to ask it for, um, for uh, rain and, and, and fertility and agricultural uh, 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 plentifulness. Uh, so so this, this replica started acquiring not just a ritual significance, but the actual meteorological powers of the, the pre-Hispanic rain deity that, um, that scholars of pre-Hispanic Mexico uh, believed the, the, the effigy represented. So this ancient rain deity um, had been sort of reinvested with its powers in the community through this replica that was replicating the way that, that the monolith had been placed in the museum. So there were all of these layers that, that became um, incredibly interesting. And I also noticed during my fieldwork the ways in which there were other processes of replication of the pre-Hispanic past, not necessarily on this regarding this particular stone, but other ways that 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 replicas were functioning um, for town residents that were interested in reinvesting the locality with a sense of collective personhood and property um, enduring over time. Um, in a moment where these things were being threatened. Um, Cuatlinchan is, is located uh, almost in the periphery of Mexico City that has grown incredibly um, drastically in the last decades. And so has really been absorbed by the, by the urban stain in the, um, in, in the recent past. And so a lot of town residents are interested in activating um, the town as an important pre-Hispanic site and using replicas of all sorts of things. So here I'm showing you a replica of, um, of a codex that they, that they, 
that they did, that's the Tira de Peregrinación, but interpreted from a Kuatlinchan perspective. And they started building these models of what they thought the pre-Hispanic uh, city that was in Kuatlinchan before, before conquest would have looked like based on, this, on the things that they were finding um, in different parts of their, of their community. So using all of these ways of local knowledge to recreate these, these models. Um, so a lot of this work has, has led me to, to become very interested in the relationship between patrimony replication um, and, and, and these very, very local ways that defy the logic of patrimonio as, a, as, as merely a legal regime, as a state institution, um, and as a, as a state-led effort that, that would have crafted this kind of national homogeneity that we, that we associate with museums and imagined communities and all of this. So, um, so if, if you see that there's all sorts of parallels with, with Pamela's work, I really love this term of, of, of original replicas that, 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 you, that you presented, Pamela. Um, and I think that there's a lot, uh, that, that it's an incredibly productive way of thinking about um, about these objects and how they defy um, the these dichotomies now that we tend to 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 always think about with real fake uh, original um, copy authentic replica so I think that there's a lot of ways in which there are there are parallels between our projects many things Sandra Super interesting presentation. Um, Pamela, would you like to reply to this? Um, resonate? Yes, that would be excellent. Yeah, sure. Uh, we were talking with Sandra about the relations between our projects. And it's really interesting the, the way in, in Latin America to think about heritage or as Sandra called it, patrimony uh, and disappropriation and the way that the replication became a strategy and a way to, to allow this heritage to continue. And uh, there are a lot of, of similarities, but also there are big difference. In, in Mexico, heritage is a, a really strong and powerful institution in the state. In Ecuador, it's not so, so strong. Uh, and, and there are lots of, of conditions that make uh, the National Museum, for example, in Mexico, a really big reference. Here in Ecuador, we have really like uh, weak institutions. So we have a lot of, of connections, but I think it's a, a really different possibility to analyze this context and the way we are thinking about, about heritage and communities. Uh, through replication, I think it's a, it's a different possibility to, to understand this idea of returns or, or this idea of how the communities relate with this past. Thank you. I'm also very curious how it articulates to the form that you have chosen for the project that you're presenting here at, the, at, the, at Fieldworks um, in the exhibition, which is a very playful format and it's really like very far away from the massive monumental format of the Mexican uh, um, case that we've been seeing here. So I'd like to hear more about this, the playfulness and this, uh, yeah, the materiality of your, of your investigation with forms and with, uh, with these uh, replicas. Yeah, that's one big difference with Mexico. Mexico has this monumental archaeology and Ecuador we have like small things and uh, what I wanted to do was present this idea of, of field notes with objects that uh, 
I have uh, collected in my fieldwork uh, objects that have been gifts or that I have bought. And they are replicas, but they are presented like in this uh, really authentic way. I, I use the idea of Atlas uh, from a famous archaeologist and the first historian in, in Ecuador in the 19th century. So it's like a really like official and, and truthful format to present these objects that are really replicas. And uh, I, I wanted to connect also with the idea that um, all these scientists and collectors from the 19th century also imagine and reimagine these objects. This uh, particular album uh, from the 19th century was made by the things that these, um, these scientists uh, imagine about these objects. Many of them uh, were sent to different collections in Europe or in Latin America. And he was like remembering, I, I remember this object looked like this. <laughs> so I think this imagination about the past is something that is uh, there in the collectors, in the people that recreate them as replicas. Uh, and I wanted to also be part of this way of reimagining these objects and these scenarios for the objects. So it's like staging these replicas in a way that is also connecting with this institutional critique that I was telling at the beginning. Could you tell us how it started that you started to play with, this, uh, with these little creatures, with these little um, replicas? Because this is a very specific mode. In my work with, uh, with an artist in Berlin, I was also like, particip like making participant observation on making installations. And this staging figures is a very specific thing that takes you back from to memories of childhood. But you also understand how serious this is when you're like, oh, you cannot do whatever there. You are like, do some things work and some things don't work. And this is uh, very precise work. So, so that, can you tell me more? I want to know about the process. Uh, well, it, it started really as, as playing with these objects, with these things. Uh, I have been working with them kind of my, my main concern as an artist has been like relocating archives and objects. Uh, taking things from La Pila and exhibiting in, in galleries in Quito. People thinking like, is this original? Is this replicas? Uh, or taking archives to, to La Pila, archives from Quito, and people finding in these archives histories of, of their communities that were missing. Mm -hmm. So it's like uh, this practice of relocating things, of relocating objects. Uh, I think it was a really nice opportunity because also the pandemic um, I was working just at home. So I had to work with all the things that I had. And it was a way to, to play with this materiality also from the field and taking things from there. And it was really, really playful. It was like, uh, it, I, I don't remember with what object it started, but uh, it was playing with these fragments, with these objects and, and trying to create this illusion of, of the original also. Thanks a lot. Would you like to add something? Yes, I, I, I love the fact, Maxine, that you bring out this, this issue of play, because I think um, as I was exploring this, 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 this world of, of replicas and replication around, around patrimony, I use, I use the term patrimonio more for Latin American context because, because heritage doesn't quite 
translate this kind of the verticality I think that that patrimonio does in terms of you know the pater but also the kinship uh, term I think is is interesting in terms of thinking about these objects as actually being part of not just social reproduction and political reproduction but also biological reproduction and 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 reproduction more more broadly related to 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 replicas um, but this playfulness, I think, is really interesting, and 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 I see it very clearly in Pamela's work as an artist, but also in her writing as a as an anthropologist. I think you know we kind of imagine that we that we go from one of these worlds to the other, but we're always somehow both of these things, no? And at least um, I wanted to to ask Pamela more about the relationship between her practice um, as an artist and as an anthropologist, and how she kind of um, imagines the different ways that she that, that she does uh, that, that she intervenes in both of these fields and say a little bit myself that for me a lot of the art uh, a lot of the possibilities of working as a with artists I, I I don't know if I would call myself an artist but I've done a lot of collaboration with artists um, with film I made I made the film the absent stone that I already told you about but I'm, I've also and Eduardo Abarroa, and um, I mean, artists that have also in their own practices been interested in replicas and, and, and this relationship between archaeology and the Mexican state. Um, and one of the things that I have most enjoyed about, about working in these formats is the playfulness, the possibility of using things like montage, like juxtaposition, like I mean, things that, that we can so rarely do in academic writing because we have all of these formats that, you know, you, your journal article has to have things in a particular way. Writing, ethnographic writing has to be done in a particular way. I think this is also changing. I think we're in a very exciting moment where a lot of, um, a lot of anthropologists are exploring different avenues. I mean, yourselves through this series, but also I'm thinking of something like ethnographic terminalia, um, I mean, there's, there, I think that we're expanding the possibilities of the kinds of academic production that we do, but I think that we have found in art a certain possibility um, that, that, that has maybe also transformed our, our, our work in, in these academic formats. Yeah, and, and, well, it's, uh, it's really important, this discussion, and I think in, in Latin America, I'm really happy to see Juliana Borea here. She has, uh, from, from Lima, uh, she has encouraged also these discussions, this relation between art and anthropology, and it has really been a productive way to think about these connections. Um, I was trained as an artist and then as an anthropologist, and I think, I'm in a moment where I can try to think with those two parts of the brain in one project. But at first it was like, uh, I'm doing artist uh, projects and uh, combining it with some um, ethnographic ideas. And I think it's a really important step to, to connect those things uh, also in, in this kind of uh, established formats or academic formats where we are seeing uh, the value of the image, the value of this ambiguity of the image and, and also humor that it allows uh, to be part of the discussion, you know, to open things that in art we are used to this openness of this interpretation, uh, but in academic formats, it's, it's a little bit more close. So I think it's, it's really important and I think it's, uh, 
it's a discussion that is uh, all over, you know, in, in Latin America is a really important discussion also right now. Thank you very much. So I think we can open the discussion to, to other participants. And uh, we have first a question of uh, Jen um, for Sandra, but I think it also goes for Pamela um, about the, the link between uh, reproduction and replication which are two different things. And it's, uh, you mentioned also with kinship. Yeah, there is something there. So Sandra, tell us. Well, this is a little bit what, what, what I was um, starting to, to discuss. I think that a lot of the heritage literature tends to think about objects and, and collections and, and to kind of focus on, on, on these histories of, of certainly state making and also these kind of institutional contexts. But, but we rarely think about these objects as being central to processes of, of, of reproduction um, in, in the more sort of anthropological sense. And interestingly, replicas, which one would think would be an incredibly productive site for anthropological thinking, there's, there's actually quite little being written, um, especially I think um, after sort of the very beginnings of, of, of anthropology. I mean, Boaz has some, some interest in, in these processes. Some of the early anthropology has, has interest in, in replication, but really there's very little that's been written about replicas um, in, in anthropology. I really, um, that, that was something that was surprising to me when I kind of came to replicas through my, my fieldwork. As I said, it wasn't something that I thought that I would really focus on. And I found a lot more, um, work done in, in art um, about replication. I mean, from Duchamp to Warhol, right? There's been a, a whole um, gamut of people in, in the art world that have really uh, thought about this destabilizing these dichotomies between real and fake, original copy, authentic replica. But really in anthropology, I think that we think about people, right? And we think about the ways that, that, that these things might be related to other kinds of reproduction, particularly um, the reproduction of, of, uh, of through kinship, reproduction through kinship, but also just actual biological reproduction. So that's one of the things that I think that, that at least I've tried to do in my work is to kind of think of these things together and think about replicas as being central to the reproduction of collective forms of personhood and, and, and corporate bodies that, that, that exist and endure over time through the processes of reproduction of these objects, which is completely counter to the idea of patrimony as this single singular static museum object under, you know, within a within a museum display that we all kind of go and pay homage to in these institutional contexts. Yeah, thank you very much. I think it's very intriguing also to compare it, like to, to really embed it again in, in modernity and what, what objects are for us modern. And I was thinking of, um, of how in the context, especially of Asia, how, and, but also for Africa. I have one colleague working um, since uh, many years already on replicas in Africa, and also especially on the, the, the processes of aging, 
how they how the artists, the craft people, age these copies with. And she was describing at length very classical French um, ethnology, um, super detailed works, excellent work. Uh, how this the different techniques that were employed and and why there were some of them were more valued than others. Um, really excellent. And of course, there was this idea that not every replica is born equal. This, this is very important also. But also, there is this kind of this tension between what we think of uh, in the object as being especially valuable and what they think as being very valuable. And it's not the same. When we started to collect all these objects from these places, people were kind of eager to give them to us because most of them were already obsolete or not updated, not that they were not used in rituals anymore, but uh, an old image was an old image. They, it could be replaced with a stronger image and they started to use other materials and it was not a problem because what was important was the image, not the object. And there is, in Japan, they rebuild the temple every every number of years because it's, it's supposed to be new, to be effective, you know? And this is something that is also interesting when Pamela starts playing with, with replicas because it's, a lot of ritual objects don't have the status that we give to them in our um, uh, Christian and also modern uh, museum-oriented uh, material cultures. And playing around or living with things is, uh, is a completely different thing than what we have in mind. And uh, what is interesting in the project of Pamela is precisely this play again with these things that were supposed to be under glass uh, walls and that we're not supposed to touch, not supposed to play with. And uh, producing these replicas should is also a thing that is fun. And I believe that there is a distinction with this, the circulation, the, the craft people are, are happy to produce these things again and to put them into circulations. And that these things are yeah, interesting to some other people, a part of all the economic impact for them, and et cetera. And uh, I believe we kind of lose sometimes track of this uh, of this these basic facts of just like things are not as sacred as we think they are or not the same way like we think they are and the sacredness is in the form and in the playing the, the possible playing and evocations and when you play you play with evocations and this comes to very sacred things as well that can be very sacred there is um, sorry, I'm being a bit long here, but there, I wanted to bring up this author, um, Etienne Souriau, maybe something you could look up for the text. Etienne Souriau has become a bit famous through uh, Bruno Latour because he's using it in some of his work and uh, is, a, is a French theorician of aesthetics, but he has one text about, well, he has texts about God and about, he has one text, he has things about soul, the soul of things and the soul of the little boy, for example, that arranges objects on the table and or on the floor and he arranges them in a very precise way and this, it has to be like this you know this is the way it has to be and the mother comes and and you know tidies everything up and she's like oh this is like she doesn't see and the little boy starts crying and the mom says oh sorry i didn't see it was something and for Etienne Soyo, this something is a very specific thing it is the soul of the little boy and it is the soul of the playing around of the little boy and it is it is something very sacred it is a perspective but it's also it's also, yeah, something that is very fleeting and, and very, very strong, that has a lot of power. And uh, respecting, re-investigating through um, going around this object, um, this is also an access to an experience of something that is there inside of those objects and inside of, of you. And this is also this turn to autoethnography is extremely interesting, like, too. 
connect with this um, experience of objects that is uh, not so far after all. It's not all destroyed and sterilized. Yeah. I don't want, maybe you want to um, reply to this, Pamela. And we, we yeah. are still waiting for questions. And by the way, we're going to stop at four because we decided to keep those talks very short. So thank you very much. So please come up yeah. with questions in the chat. Just uh, yeah. really briefly, because I see that Juliana has a question, but uh, I think is what you are saying is uh, in my field work, the relation that the people have with these objects is, is really different. Is uh, something from the daily life and they call it the things from the ancient, cositas de los antiguos. It's like a really close past. And uh, I think that's a, a way of seeing it. They, they respect this past. It's not uh, like they don't, it, they don't have this idea of respect uh, in a glass, in a museum. It's a different relation with these objects. And it's also a, a relation that is, um, um, that has economical interest. If, if they see you with interest in these objects, they will also present all the authenticity you want. This idea of aging the objects is, is part of that. You want objects to look Asian. So I think it's also a, a way of being really aware about this idea of authenticity and using it. So we have a question by uh, Juliana. Yes. Okay, uh, let me put my hand down. Put your hand Lower hand. Okay. Okay. Hi, and thank you very much for this uh, wonderful talk and to see you many faces here, well, or names here that we know each other. Um, well, yeah, this is a fascinating uh, talk and conversation. Thank you very much, Dandra and Pamela. You have all, again, made me think about many, many issues and, um, and become a framework right now for something that I wanted to discuss in, 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 my, in my project that is about this idea of, um, yeah, rep replication, but in terms of, um, I would say contemporary art, but indigenous art. And as you, you were saying, Pamela, this uh, process of replication related with past, um, but also, um, you know, giving all this power to the or Sandra was commenting on this or giving to this power to the to the to the to the replica in itself, not to the to the to the making, no, because it's in, in the issue of making the replica that I would imagine the the, the replica gets embed embeds this power again. I, I don't know I, I, if you can uh, talk a little bit up about this, because for example, I was. Um, what happened to me is I was uh, I'm curating I was curating an exhibition, and this indigenous artist sold uh, artwork that it was going to be in the exhibition, and he told me, "But don't worry, Juliana, I can make you another one." <laughs> and of course, I in my you know contemporary art in my mind of like I'm not talking about Duchamp or Warhol, this type of more conceptual art. It was like, wow, I like making another one. <laughs> This is, this is, this is, and, and it started the dichotomies again, no, in my mind, in my own mind, anthropological mind, supposedly, but again, I was like, oh, no, this is going to be, um, we are talking about contemporary art, popular art, and, and then I find myself doing these dichotomies, and I, I thought, what are you doing? You are in the, you know, in the, like, looking like the gallerist uh, person, like the art dealer, and not through the anthropological eye. So I said, 
well, if you think, go ahead. And so he did a rep, sort of a replica. I would say we call it a second version, the addition. You know, we try to put it in the in the language of contemporary art as well. So that was um, sort of funny. But what it was more interesting is that this person wrote something his Facebook saying that every time he does, he repeats a work, he um, uh, created, create this work with a lot of power, with a power inside. I don't know, but I will get a quote like that, but it was about empowering the, the, the copy. And when you have been talking about this and you sound about the monolito, I was thinking, yes, this, this is, this works not only with replicas in the past, but mainly maybe is you know through also how objects are 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 seen, and we are of course we know we are creating this dichotomy. But you have kind of given me a lovely framework to try to discuss all this issue and try to yeah to 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 to, to also <laughs> locate my my own self, uh, you know almost in the in the position of oh my god he's going to do this re process of replication but then yeah finding myself in in in, in the art gallery <laughs> position but thank you very much you jump out. Mm -hmm. Pamela, some uh, reaction thank you so much juliana I, I i always love listening to you but i one of the things that 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 i think that um i mean i i i i think um, it's 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 very um, it's very interesting to think in terms also of how these objects were were being made uh, in in the first place. I mean, these were these these are objects that were part of processes of reproduction. I mean, in in Pamela's case, it's 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 very obvious because they were made out of molds. The the, the ancient molds were made to create a, a series, not to to make another one, to make a new one. No? And I think that there's other ways in which um, these, these processes relate to also Catholic ontologies in terms of saint images and the replication of saint images and how saint images become invested with power um, that, 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 that also challenge these, these sort of more modern ideas of, of objects as being as these sort of singular things that, that, that circulate in very particular ways. But I think that... Um, what I, I love the story that 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 you brought in Maxim on, on Sohio because I think that one of I think that 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 Pamela and I are in many ways trying to get to that something no um, that something that 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 in these that in these contexts is being um, used as a strategy of display and that the state not only doesn't see but actually considers uh, illicit no in, in Mexico and I think also in I mean Pamela was talking about heritage police and in Mexico there's all of the system of laws that makes any other kind of use of these artifacts um, illegal and 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 punishable by law right so I think that that um, there's also this relationship between the, the the licit and the illicit that that we are exploring just wanted to add that um, I, I see replication as a creative process. It's always a creative process. Uh, in La Pila, they have, for instance, uh, these catalogs from the National Museum, and they have it in the walls, like uh, to, to create the replicas, and they have only the, the front of the image, and they imagine the rest of the object. So I think it's always, uh, replication is always uh, a creative process. And, and some of these artisans uh, want to be called artists. And I think that's a really important uh, 
gesture also. Many thanks. So we still have uh, five minutes for questions. There's comments. a question. There is from one Monica. from Monica. Yeah, absolutely. I will read it to you so you don't have to read the question and answer it, Sandra. I will save you from that. Um, so thank you very much, says Monica. Um, your work, I think, allows us not to challenge, uh, not only to challenge the dichotomy between originality and replication, but also between monumentality and fragmentation. Could you perhaps talk more about how you understand this relation between the fragment and the monument? Maybe, Sandra, this is for you. <laughs> um, I mean, that's... Uh, Monica and I have also been in conversation for many years, and I think she's asking the, the huge question. No, I think that... Um, uh, I'm 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 very interested a little bit like like Pamela where where people are using these terms like cositas. Um, I mean cositas seems which means in Spanish little things or or little objects um, or thingies. No, I mean it has this kind of uh, familiar, almost childish uh, register. In 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 Guatinchan, what the term that people use is tepalcate, and and that means I mean it's basically the the term for for shards, right? So it's it's broken. There's um, even objects that are that are not broken are called broken, um, and and this is something that I explore a lot in 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 the in 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 my in my writing, um, but I think that that. Uh, at least in my project in the way that it's that it's imagined and 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 the way that I also see what people in in Guatlinchan are doing and are interested in there's there's a fragmentation that happens in the practices that people that people are engaging with in terms of patrimony and particularly in a Mexican context where monumentality as as you Monica um, work on as well uh, where monumentality has had this 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 political force in terms of of state making um, I think that it's that 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 repositioning some of that in terms of fragments and fragmentation is key, and I think that it's 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 really in accordance with some of the work, at least that that I think some of the artists that I've been interested in are doing. Um, Eduardo Avaroa did a project called the destruction of the the total destruction of the anthropology museum, where he literally made replicas of some of the objects and of the architecture and blew them up. Um, creating all of these fragments and, and putting them in gallery spaces. Um, Mariana Castillo de Val makes replicas, uses the, the molds that, are, that, that the Mexican state uses for official replicas, because in Mexico, there is such a thing as an official uh, authorized replica that the Mexican state has to put a stamp, that, that the institution of, of, of administering patrimony has to put a stamp of authenticity on a little bit like, like I think also in Ecuador, Pamela, you discussed this in your writing. Um, and she kind of takes takes apart all of the pieces of this and 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 creates artworks with that. So I think that 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 one of the things that that really allows us to to break away from that monumentality or to think about it in in other ways is through these processes of fragmentation. So thank you very much, Monica, for bringing that up. Great, thank you very much for this answer. So I think we're coming to the closing question, which is um, directed to Pamela, but also maybe to Sandra, which is how you want, how you envision the evolution of the work. Uh, as you know, for the physical um, exhibition, we want to have 
uh, evolved work. So, so, and also we have, uh, we, I think we would be open to receive a contribution to the book that would be written with four hands with Sandra. That could be something interesting, I believe. Um, so it could be also an invitation there. Um, but I think first, yeah, Pamela, how do you envision like this evolution? Uh, it could be also something process-based, workshop-based, uh, making replications with students there would be, you know, we're kind of thinking very broad here. Uh, when we, and the exhibition will have in parallel workshops and we hope also a non-tart and collects event. We wrote um, an application for this grant already. So we hope to have a kind of more, you know, like uh, the framework to do more different formats. Pamela, what do you think? What do you see for the future? Well, I'm, I'm really interested in, in start to a conversation with, with one of these artisan artists from La Pila, uh, who is really interested in, in these projects and, and who has been a part of, of the discussion. So I, I want to work with him. I'm not sure about what's going to, to become of this, but I think it will be great to, to have his voice in this, in this project as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. I think we have to speak also anyways, but you know that games are also very in nowadays for as an anthropological process. So I was thinking, well, maybe you could edit a game for this, <laughs> you know, or try to, I was thinking of my little boy playing around with all these figures. I think we could have some fun there. So yeah, just many ideas for uh, more, for curating more things. Um, our time is up, uh, unless there is a very, a very uh, urgent question or remark. Um, I think, Jen, would you like to say a few words? We've missed your voice. Uh, I know you were busy. I thought you'd be appreciating the, the relative quiet <laughs> from me today. Um, hi, everybody. No, I just want to say um, thank you for coming, everybody. It's uh, strange times and a kind of odd in-between phase for those of us who are involved in any kind of teaching or academic work and if you're in the UK it's a very strange time um so and no thank you everywhere my dear everywhere it's kind of mm, yeah, yeah. I, think so. I think so um uh I mean let me just say that 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 in relation to that that Maxime is um maintaining optimism about um an actual physical Lisbon experience together and we are being ambitious in our efforts to ask for money from various bodies, including EASA, to, to have those events. Um, but we are deeply invested in making sure that they're accessible to people who are in different continents, um, in different timeframes, and can in, you know, be involved in different ways. So whatever these um, engagements might be as we go over the next year um, up to September, please, you're all welcome to somehow um, join in the conversation. Um, and to, 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 you know, contribute creatively to these sorts of discussions that we're having, which have been going on for a while, but are um, kind of forced to address even these fundamental questions of reproduction, copying and art, discipline, how we know what we know, um, how we communicate with each other, how we make work and share it. Um, and so we welcome everyone to continue joining in these conversations. Um, and we hope that next September we'll be able to see everybody in Lisbon if not, we hope to see you all in some way um, as we develop this project together. So, and thank you, Sandra, you were right. It was lovely, really lovely to have your presence here in this conversation. And we, we will encourage you, if you'd like to, to, to grow this, um, this aspect of the project with Pamela and with us together. Thank you. Thank you so much.
Cool. Amela and I have experience writing for, with four hands, so we, we I think Lovely. it would be really effective to, to to engage something, particularly on these on these aspects that I think Perfect. are, are shared. So it would be a real pleasure. Um, oh, that's to really nice to conversation in, in those other mediums. Mm -hmm. Great, great. Well, we'll keep you posted. We'll add you to our network list for a start. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. I to say also hi to Carolina because we, I don't think we have met so much. Uh, Carolina That's is right. with us. And uh, we're glad that hi, you're Carolina. here. Thank you for coming. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to the conversation with you um, in a couple of weeks or months. I don't have the program in, in head, but yeah. So yeah. thank you very much, you all. Please circulate our call, our, our, yeah, the program. And um, yeah. And thank you, Maxim, for being the the host and, and for oh, and for yeah. not playing any terrible music. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna go. I've got to get back to marking. Be well, everyone. Nice Thank to see you, you all. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Claire, I'll message you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Ciao.